I managed to get him on the phone for the interview at the hour on the clock on the Friday in July, the date in July, marking the 70th anniversary hour of his relative shooting my relative. So these kinds of things were popping <laughs> at me all along. So we always think of investigation of research as, okay, let me go down to that dusty old filing cabinet, or let me slog through the internet and databases and this and that. And my investigations just brought me in touch with so many people, sometimes by accident, sometimes by my design, with just so much personal stuff. And I was having a ball with it, an absolute ball, Rob. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to The Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. You know, one of the most important aspects of writing a quality nonfiction book is research. And I think that the one genre that has the highest demand for research is when we are talking about writing an investigative narrative. And this is why I have invited today's guest. Now, Keith Mason has been a storyteller for many, many years. His storytelling career began with music and cultural observation in the Philadelphia newspapers, where he interviewed dozens of top artists, from Jerry Garcia and Phil Collins to George Carlin and Monty Python. And in 1978, he began a nearly 40-year career in public relations, nonprofit development, and the performing arts, including stints at Drexel University and the Kimmel Center, home of the Philadelphia Orchestra. Some of his most satisfying work came at a major addiction recovery center as the opioid crisis unfolded in the early 2000s, with stories that educated the public, provided hope, and saved lives. Keith was a producer for one of Philadelphia's most cutting-edge theaters and worked in radio for years, covering all forms of music and information. But what Keith is going to share with us about today is his experience writing a tale of his own, one that he never expected to experience, much less write. And we're going to be talking about Keith's book, Please Stand Up, which is an investigative piece where he figures out the killer who murdered his grandfather, who was the father of his father, who Keith had never known. So it's a really compelling story. And I hope that you will enjoy and get a lot of good insights on how to research the past so that we can tell a compelling story today. Enjoy. So, Keith, welcome to the Author's Corner. 
Thanks very much for having me into the corner. <laughs> I'm to be on the conversational end uh, rather than on the usual listening end. Thanks again for having me in. Well, it's a pleasure to have you. And, you know, I found your background uh, when you reached out to us. I found your background really interesting. And and I want to talk about a couple of things that I think are so key to an author's process. and And really, it doesn't matter what kind of a book you're writing. I believe that these two things that I think you could share some great insight and expertise for our listeners about are key components of any book in any genre that you might possibly be thinking of writing. The f- so the first thing I want to ask you about, uh, because this happened before your book, and probably I would imagine quite a bit during your book, or <laughs> your pre- preparation of your book, uh, of Please Stand Up. Um, but let's talk about interviewing people. Because you've you've had a really interesting background with that, so I'd love for you to share with us a little bit about, you know, what you were doing back, you know, in the, in the early days and who you were interviewing, and then we'll maybe, and you know, for whom, and then we'll get into some details about what that was like. Well, I was um, one of those lucky people who was the editor of the high school newspaper and would, would track down the the math teacher for the profile of the month and segued into uh, the university paper at Rutgers where I was a features editor. And actually they were going to have me be the editor of the paper in my junior year and also take over the poetry journal in my junior year. And I said, great idea. I'm dropping out of high school. I'm dropping out of school. Ah. Simply because it was the early 1970s and I was living in South Jersey and across the river over in Philadelphia big city, underground newspapers, the rock and roll world. Mm. So I left Rutgers after two years, probably big mistake, but can't go back to that. Right. <laughs> up with those uh, urban newspapers and turning into the rock and roll guy, one of the rock and roll guys. And it was remarkable to me. Oh, I'm the guy who gets to go off and spend two hours with Jerry Garcia or with Genesis or Phil Collins or the birds or you name it, David Cross, on, 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 on. I get to be backstage with Marcel Marceau. I get to do all this, this stuff. I'm the one guy out of 400 people walking down the street. Oh, I get to be the guy. Right. And of course of that, talking to lots of people, ask the first wrong question of uh, the 50s, 60s political comedian, Mort Sahl, and having him kick me out of the dressing room because I just was asked, ask the wrong question. Oh, I'd love to. Can you say what the question was? To do with his age and the topicality of comedy. And, oh. uh, he didn't want to be asked about his age because he was very topical. I was just a, a dumbass, you know. <laughs> what do I know? Uh, <laughs> to Jerry Garcia's hotel room. Finally, I get to spend the time with the guy. Yeah. And first thing, once we get settled in and the recorder's on, it's the nicer room and the uh, the agent is over there in the corner directing things. And uh, my first question was something like, so uh, uh, yeah. how's the, uh, how, something to the effect, how are the kids? How's home life? How, how's things going for you, the family and the kids? And his response is, that's none of your damn business. Yeah. <laughs> now the agent very, I said, well, okay, I was just, you know, 
being comfortable in the first question because people really like you and admire you and love you and appreciate you. And it would have been nice to just say, uh, yeah, things are okay. And he kind of backed off and was, was polite about it. The agent said People Magazine had just promised him they would do this profile and never mention his kids. Oh, and they were okay. all over his kids. So he didn't want to talk about that at all. Yeah. So yeah. I asked the wrong questions. Right. Since high school, I've had some backdrop on how to ask questions. Uh-huh. Uh, a lot of time. In so I'm, I'm curious, like, that's a great point, though. Like, so, so he had just gotten burned by People magazine who swore that they'd leave his family out of it and then went against that. Is that something to, like what did you take away from that as far as preparing for your interviews or, or did was it just how did you view that? Some things you can't be prepared for because you have if you listen to somebody or watch them perform, you've got that. If you read the backdrop material that people plant with you from record companies and movie companies, it's like, well, okay, you've got that. But you never know walking in if somebody just had that kind of experience or just came off of arguing with their wife or whatever the case. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just tried to be as as human as possible as you sound like you're having a tough day. So let me just do a quick thing here and then get out of your room. Just adapt to what's what. Right. 95% of the time, things were okay because I was with people who like to be appreciated and like to share their stories and things like that. And in the nonprofit public relations world as a professional, once I left Rock and Rollville, um, still I'd be telling the stories of an institution to encourage the public, uh, use our service, buy our tickets, support this nonprofit, do this, do that. So you go into a CEO's office to get information and you're still asking the questions. You're still interviewing people. Mm-hmm. So, so I'd love to have you talk a little bit. I don't, I don't want to stay too long on the rock and roll scene, but you know, I, I, w- I would like to have you speak a little bit too, because I know that a lot of times people are intimidated about approaching somebody like, you know, who's, who's really famous or a super powerful person. And then even once you do, like how to have a conversation with them that's not weird, right? And so what were some of your takeaways after doing that for quite some time and talking to all these different kinds of you know people, but they were all in that tier or that echelon of notab- notability? I learned to, among other things, bring the conversational tone way down if I had the opportunity to go into the New York hotel room with the big rock and roll superstar, I wasn't going to talk about rock and roll superstardom. Mm-hmm. As soon as possible, I'd get them talking about movies, about what they listen to. You had that wonderful Martin guitar that you did such and such. Where did you get that guitar? Mm. It's been, you're very close to your wife. I know that it's in people magazine. Let's face it. How does she feel about the world that you inhabit? How does she adapt to that? Uh, What are some fun stories about that? I try to bring it down to what did you have for breakfast just now? And what's up with the double bacon? Uh, (laughs) Eventually, you can circle back around to, okay, well, you have this. Meanwhile, you have this new movie coming out. Right. You can get there, Mm -hmm. but you can find out a lot to not just get chummy with somebody, but to inform the work that you're going to do and how you're going to express it to whatever your public is by answering or asking and, and getting answers of things that are off topic, off the movie, off the show, off the, off the whatever. 
if you're doing the other kind of work that I was of talking to executives, talking to people in business, the product, the service, the whatever that we're here to promote, here to talk about, or here to, in some cases, uh, not make excuses for, but find the reasons for, because somebody's antagonistic about your, your thing down the street or what you just did. Same thing for me applies, not just going in and ramming to the topic, but trying to find out who the person is when they're sitting home you know, with their jacket off and what's going on in parts of, of their life, not to get nosy into it, mm-hmm. but to just human things down. I even say, you know, I'm not, I never use the first 10 minutes of what's on the tape, Bob. Yeah. But meanwhile, I'm really curious. I saw you drive in in that old car. Didn't seem like you. What happened? <laughs> Who knows what, but it brings the temperature down and mm-hmm. humanizes somebody, makes you more human in front of them instead of somebody with a notebook or a tape recorder or a digital or a stick in their face. Right. I think that gets you a long way mm-hmm. to getting real stuff from somebody. Yeah, I think that's terrific advice. And if we switch gears now and go to when you were researching your book, Please Stand Up, which seems to me to have a pretty strong investigative aspect to it. So maybe you could tell our, our listeners a little bit more about your book, and then we could get into how what kinds of interviews you did for that and how you handled those. Um, as I've taken uh, to, to say from time to time, uh, some people have a grand intention to write the story of, of, of their life or of their adventure or what have you, and other people have memoir thrust upon them. And this was certainly the case for me because I'd almost retired from the writing life or any kind of life. I was heading into retirement. I spent a couple years working in a Barnes and Noble bookstore after leaving the big world of nonprofit PR and development. And I wasn't intending on, well, I've got all this time. Hey, I'm a writer. I'll fill time. Won't drive the wife, wife crazy. Do I have something to do instead of complaining in the kitchen? I'll have, I never went in that direction. And then to briefly recount what the book is about, I'm 64 years old. I'm sitting in my basement. I'm fiddling around on the computer. And the subtitle to my activity is, I've never known my father, but I've known a couple of little life tidbits about him since my mother gave them to me when I was a teenager and old enough to here's something about your father. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking just sort of very casually through the internet's got everything. So I'm doing a little stuff and I find my father. Mm. on YouTube of an episode of the game show to tell the truth from 1961. The door blows open. The universe comes into my little basement room (laughs) and two tracks happen in my life. I'm living an experience through three years and I'm writing in an experience through three years to find a grandfather who was killed by a a dirty cop in Texas in 1949 as an investigative reporter. Mm. Eight siblings I didn't know about spread out around the country. Turns out my old man had married seven times to six women in and out of jail, all sorts of stuff. How colorful. Yeah. So I immediately think on this, Robin, well, I'm a writer. I have to do something. It would be dereliction of duty not to do something. I, I agree. Yes. <laughs> it's quite a story. Months, I'll do 12 pages. I'll sell it to Esquire. Oh, okay. And uh-huh. one thing leads to another, which leads to another. It turns out there could have been three guys of my father's name and activity spread into three states. Which one? There was this big question, that big question, and those questions became resolved as it went along, and I 
found myself becoming a detective mm. because if you knew something, oh, I found this out and I could have this brother living 30 miles away and for 20 years and never even knew about, well, that might fill up two or three factual paragraphs. But there's so much circling around that person and that stuff that I need to find out. And I ended up enjoying being detective and talking to county clerks in Texas, a woman who would go down into the basement and bring out an old three by five card and say, yes, here's the name of your the father you were talking about. And here's the date that he married his uh, pregnant teenage uh, girlfriend from Ohio. Such and such a date. Thank you very much, Miss Smith. Having those conversations with clerks, mm. detectives, fire marshals, data people, three by five card people in six different states, ending up talking to lawyers for whom my father was a client back in the 1960s, tracking down guys who were in deep sea salvage diving, which was my father's occupation for many years. And those kind of adventurer stories got him on that TV game show. Wow. In the first Right. Talking to guys who worked with him on the dock, finding one of his old partners tracking through. Here, here, here's the flow of, of things, Robin, finding an article with this one diver's name in it and the wife from such and such a place and tracking down through the wife's cell number and getting to him in his 80s in retirement down south someplace. And finding out a completely different version of my father, Bert, as other people had their own experiential versions of their life with Bert. Hmm. So investigatively, report-of-wise, I was not that kind of reporter. I knew how to ask questions, but the digger, figuring out how to use all the databases, all you know, the stuff you see in those uh, commercials these days when somebody's looking through the immigration records from uh, Alice Island sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. finding out uh, about people, about activities, about stuff that all become building blocks for turning that original paragraph of facts about something or somebody into a page and a half of really interesting storytelling. That was, that was the most fun of my process, aside from meeting brand new brothers and sisters I never knew existed. Right. Wild. <laughs> What about on the uh, the law enforcement side regarding the murder investigation? Were there still detectives? Were there still people alive who had who had investigated that original case? Funny you should ask. Uh, the killing of my grandfather as an investigative reporter who stuck his nose into the wrong places in a dusty little town called Alice, southeast Texas, in the forties, uh, a corrupt town run by corrupt behind the scenes political bosses, and this one a power broker had a young uh, candidate for the uh, for Senate named Lyndon Johnson practically in his pocket. And there's a ballot stuffing scandal from 1948 that put Johnson into the White House that was never resolved, tagged him for the rest of his life. And it all in part because of this power broker who ran things in Alice back in the day, including big Sheriff Sam Swithmick, who killed my father. Uh, and in talking to the town, in doing my research, finding people at the local newspaper, I thought, hey, this would be a great thing for your paper. You know, After 50 years, a guy finds out about his grandfather in, in this shady part of our town's history. Yeah, Nobody, nobody wanted to touch it. Oh, I bet. <laughs> I, I ended up 
talking to people and, and looking at their, their own uh, research that they've been doing for a completely different reason about Texas politics or something, being in this town as late as the early 2000s, sitting in a diner talking to somebody, and then you shush as somebody walks by because you don't talk about the shooting in Alice in 1949. You don't talk about those corrupt years. So to this day, and yet I'm almost done writing the book. I'm in my, my final. I'm, I'm really going to publish it. It's really going to go. But, but let me put something else in it. Right. <laughs> Just to do a fact check, I'm talking to the sheriff's office in Alice, Texas. And I don't want to bother the guy. I know he's busy. I've got a, let's see, I've got a name here, uh, a chief detective, uh, something, something. Could you just check with him, ask him over there and then give me an answer back. The guy comes to the phone. Okay. So I'm talking to the head of the sheriff's department in Alice, Texas, three years ago. Uh-huh. And well, yes, I remember that story. And I remember, and I remember, and uh, I remember my grandfather who was Sam Smith's sister told me once, wait a minute, what? Stop the music. You're the head of the sheriff's department now. Did you just say your grandmother told you stories when you were a kid and your grandmother is the sister of the guy who shot my grandfather? <laughs> yes, he's descended from a sheriff in 1949 who got life for the killing. Huh. And now the guy, here's this guy running. So I'm talking to this guy. One of my sisters that I came across who had some internet connections provided me with a clue. And I ended up interviewing the great grandson of the sheriff who murdered my grandfather. Wow. And to be really theatrical, because it just happened to be, it just turned out this way. I arranged to have this conversation with him to share notes and share histories from the distant past, two families in a, kind of a Rashomon thing, people looking at the same story from different angles. Oh, yeah. I managed to get him on the phone for the interview at the hour on the clock on the Friday in July, the date in July, marking the 70th anniversary hour of his relative shooting my relative. Wow. So these kinds of things were popping <laughs> at me all along. So we, all, we always think of investigation of research as, okay, let me go down to that dusty old filing cabinet, or let me slog through the internet and databases and this and that. And my investigations just brought me in touch with so many people, sometimes by accident, sometimes by my design, with just so much personal stuff. And I was having a ball with it, an absolute ball, Rob. Hi there, Robin here. Have you been considering writing a thought leadership book that grows your business? How about writing a quality standout book? with a real book publishing deal behind it that not only grows your business, but also grows your influence and reach. In case you're new to the Author's Corner, my name is Robin Colucci, and I help world-class experts write world-changing books and get them published. With over 30 years in the publishing industry, I've helped clients write and publish books with Big Five and other top publishing houses. Many have gone on to become New York Times, Amazon, and Wall Street Journal, as well as USA Today bestsellers. And others have increased their business income by 600 times or more as a result of their book being out in the world and the partnering work that they did with me and my team. If you are a top-notch expert who is ready to write your world-changing book, go ahead and book a free consultation call with my team today. 
We have a limited number of spots available, and we only take clients who are committed to the process and want to get their book started now. If that sounds like you, go to www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Go ahead and fill out the application form to be considered for one of our exclusive spots. Again, the link is www.robincolucci.com forward slash application. Now, back to the show. My mentor was an investigative journalist, and so I was helping him with his books. I got to see firsthand how some of those things go and, and participated in a little bit. And I think that the interviewing the people is really where you get the, the shape and color and texture of the whole story. You know, you can't find that in, a, in an old file necessarily in the same if way. If you're writing about academic work, well, it's data-driven. Oh. It's just factual-driven. Your investigation into seaweed. Okay, thanks. Well, that's great. But when you are talking about people, I don't have the skills to write fiction at all. I couldn't imagine how to write dialogue and do those kinds of things. Although now I'm doing a screenplay on my book, so I better damn well learn how to do dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I couldn't write fiction, so hats off to anybody who, who can. But I had to learn a new skill set as I went through the interviews and the research and the digging and the crawling through stuff. I was, of course, living it, and every so often, I'm, you think, well, this is as much as I can possibly know, and then another creaky door busts open, and there's a whole bunch of new stuff you experience. But when I was in PR, Robin, I was doing paragraphs. I was doing annual reports and video scripts and mm -hmm. brochures and emails and pitches to the news. I was doing really tight paragraphs. Uh -huh. And I had to learn how to write 13 pages and then 42 pages and then 67 pages and then 213. So I, was yeah, what was what was your biggest challenge going from short form to long form, would you say? Just figuring out how to do the long form, how to get out of a paragraph and do the different things that you and I have been talking about that would stretch a, a nice factual two paragraphs into a nice storytelling two and a half pages or whatever it happens to be, turning the information into a story. I've been told by knowledgeable people that I write the way I talk, mm -hmm. but that was my intention. I wasn't trying to be like my heroes, I wasn't trying to be Salman Rushdie. I wasn't trying to be uh, Danny Shapiro or anybody else talking about family discovery or, or those kinds of genealogical things. I just put this whole thing together the way I, the, you, you and I are ta talking now. We just had a nice dinner. Hey, you got two hours. Let me tell you a story. <laughs> so I had a lot of fun with it, but to do it well, to be proud of it, I had to learn how to write long form, how to put those those cards or those sheets of paper that are ripped over and tape pieces taped together and spread them all over your living room rug, and then really see where stuff goes. That was a whole new skill set. I was going to say that was going to be my next question. So let's go there. How did you? Because uh, I know from, like I said, from working with an investigative journalist who wrote books, uh, that there's a lot of information that you've got to keep track of, you've got to stay organized. You know, how did you organize the information that you were collecting and how did that 
help you when you were writing? Well, lucky for me and my style, and also lucky for the different baskets of fruit in front of me that had, well, here's the part about me and the father I never knew. And here's the part about the grandfather. And here's the part about this. And here's the, the ancient genealogy. And here's how I came to know my oldest brother, who was a homicide cop in Ohio, who by the time I, I stuck my neck out and contacted him, uh, he was already falling into dementia. Oh, wow. I had to kind of do the old race against the clock kind of a thing to make something out of that before he, he finally did pass. And a good deal of the, the end of the book is, is about those discoveries and what it was like to walk down the street with this guy who was two, older, two years older than me, who was the same as me. His father married a, a teenage girl. They had a kid. The father went away. He was just raised by his mom. He was the same as me. Having all these baskets of stuff in front of me, how do you organize it? One way is to take every basket and just dump it out on, onto the floor. But I, I, I had this kind of chapters sort of thing so I could isolate stuff. Uh, somebody who's just doing a, a totally linear thing had, you know, organizes some other way, chronologically or discovery-wise or something-wise. But uh, the book, uh, please stand up. It time travels. It'll jump from here to there because it serves the literary purpose for me. Uh, I'll get to a point and look what I found, or I've almost found that what's behind that door, you know, question mark, go to the next chapter and you're someplace else 50 years ago, but that's okay. You'll come back. Hang, hang with me while, while we have dessert and coffee, I'll, I'll, I'll bring you back. So chron chronology was involved. Uh-huh. Just the importance of, well, here's the most important fact A and fact B. It's affected by fact G, and we'll get back to that in a moment. There's, there's nothing special to how I did it, just using the standard ways of doing things. But like I said, I was lucky. I could put stuff into this pile, that pile, the third pile, the fourth pile, which helped to kind of shred it down somewhat. So did you keep files like in a physical form as well as an electronic form on your desktop? or? Was it all one or the other, or how did I you? I was saving it on on desktop, mm -hmm. which you know, <laughs> what could go wrong with that? <laughs> a lot of stuff was on paper because I was getting into uh, how, how should I put this without not sounding like a big jerk? But there are places that you were able to go to um, with backdate newspapers, with backdate uh -huh. journals, yeah. logical sites, etc. Absolutely. Uh, 10 free uses and then you sign up mm -hmm. or stay with us for a month and then you sign up mm -hmm. and like people who jump around between cable channels when there's a special going on uh i, I signed up for stuff i got a lot of information and then i let go of it yeah. and maybe it's deep max six months later as, as bob somebody and try to get <laughs> but i had a lot of paper i've got files in plastic cabinets you know waterproof uh stuff of uh all these old newspapers that had my dad, that had my brother, the cop, that had other things going on of, of all kinds. I've got uh, a lot of interviews, uh, telephone stuff, digitally, of course, uh, on the main machine. And then I've got another copy of it put aside. And uh, during the, the course of meeting family, at one point, I got to meet uh, two more sisters, as well as my brother at an Ohio location. We all ha happened to be able to get there at the same time. So I took my adult son on a road trip to come meet his uncle for the first time and uh, carted away from that. 
my father's uh, archives, which included handwritten stuff from my grandfather from back when he was a, a crusading reporter in San Francisco back oh. in the 1920s, butting heads with a local ambitious district attorney named Earl Warren. <laughs> as the Supreme Court justice. Wow, yeah, I was going to say. So you know who he is. Characters would pop into this story all along. Incredible. So and your father was a journalist. I mean, your great your grandfather was a journalist. He started out after the First World War as a uh, as a muckraking journalist. He was chasing the police radios and getting involved in all of that, you know, the, the front page style of old days reporting. Where if you wanted to stay in the paper, I've got five witnesses that say, I, you know, Dr. Schwartz killed his wife. You've got diddly. You've got nothing. But you can still stick it in the paper because maybe something will happen tomorrow. So <laughs> he came out of that age, which is why he. The, the in, yellow journalism age. Yeah. Why he ended up in a dusty little town in, in Texas at 49 years of age, trying to start his life over and getting killed for it. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because I know that when you're interviewing people, and especially when there's a story that's related to families, a lot of times information comes up that can be challenging, right? Where you might be weighing, should I print this or not? Right? You know, when we're talking it all the time. Right. So talk to us a little bit about how how you navigated that for you and and you know. I'd love to hear an example or just you know how you thought about that. Uh, one of my golden rules was going to be I have no cause or no desire to put anything out in public that is going to hurt somebody. Mm -hmm. And I had enough material with everything that was going on and everything I was experiencing and finding. I had plenty of stuff. So there's that thing over there that somebody would really rather not have be known about their, their mom's fine, whatever. I'll throw it away. Mm -hmm. Doesn't have to go in. Um, so that was always the intention. I have hours and hours and hours of recorded stories from new family members that I was meeting. Mm. Some actually met and some only got as far as phone, but I, you know, we had something. Uh, and the, this whole story of, of mine, Robin, is the story of two books. The first book uh, was put together uh, to be, uh, I went through 75 agents, none of whom said yes. So I started exploring the self-publishing world and looking into the outfits that do that. And I made a choice. And uh, I went through everything that you go through and printed my first book. And I did that on the basis, in terms of your question, family stuff. I did it knowing as best I could at the time that everything in this book was okay with other members of the family. Mm -hmm. I was careful. I'd given them manuscripts ahead of time to look at, to review, to fact check, to get emotional about, to get ticked off about, whatever the case, give it back to me so I can be right and be cool. And I got a lot of that back. Wrote the first book, sent advanced cotton or first box copies to members of my new extended family. You wouldn't believe the storm that came back at me of stuff that they felt they hadn't given permission for, or legally speaking, didn't know that I didn't need their permission. Right. Nobody said, this is, uh, this is libelous. Nobody said that because none of it was. Every single thing was 
true as far as I knew and had the backup research to, to, to deal with. But the storm they came back was incredible. Huge disturbance that with an ironic parenthesis here, there are some people of my new family I haven't spoken to since that storm. They haven't called me. I haven't called them. But who knows how? I know one at least went off and onto the horizon, totally ticked off at me. And but as was pointed out to me by by friends who are who have done their own writing, it's not just their story. I wasn't reporting on the story of others. I was telling my story. All those people, all their troubles, all their stuff became part of my story, and I did my best to do that. Mm-hmm. I could just say, "The hell with you guys! I've got my book." Or I could say, okay, let me try to fix some things. And I redid the book, which made it a much better book. Ah, uh-huh. I took out some stuff. I renamed some people. I did some things that a more experienced writer of real stuff would already know about. It was, you know, it was my first rodeo. Yeah. Yeah. So I redid the book at great expense. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I bet. <laughs> I'm much prouder of this one because it reads better. It reads shorter. It reads tighter. Mm-hmm. So I didn't just kind of paint over the, the holes in the wall of these things that the family originally reacted to. Instead, I also redecorated the room. Yeah. So much better thing that turned out. But unfortunately, there is some hurt along the way. And some of it might end up being permanent. I don't know. And I might be back here now. An only child with no relatives, just like I was five years ago. <laughs> because two well, of my I, parents have passed. My father is gone. My grandfather is gone. I just have yeah. some eccentric sisters out there on the horizon someplace. So I might have just turned out the way I was five years ago. Just just me. Well, wow. That's, that's quite a journey. And it kind of brings us back to the beginning. So I think it's time for me to sail over to you my signature final question which is what have i not asked you today that you would love to answer well oh i don't know uh, you got me talking about rock and roll you got me talking about uh, the fun of being a a detective for your writing uh, you got me talking about living something and writing about it all in the same day. Oh, I had this phone call at two o'clock. I'm going downstairs at seven o'clock. I got to bang this app before some of it escapes me. Mm. Got me talking about all my, my fun things. Um, you didn't ask me about my baby grandson. I have no idea why you skipped over it, but. Oh, well, do tell us. What, would, what question should I have? Would you like me to ask you about? Would, would you have liked me to ask about your baby grandson? It's also a very important topic. Well, it could be the topic that you 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 might have asked if we, if we had more time. How did you bring these discoveries to your family, to your aging mother? Perfect. Oh, I love that. Yeah, let's let's do that. How how did you bring these stories to your family in partic- in general and in particular your aging mother? As a result, how will my kids tell their kids when the time comes, "Hey, your grandpa that you play with, he wrote a book." And it's a how did I bring it to my own kids? Uh, I kept it like much uh, about my personal life. I kept it under the hood for months. 
I did have a particular time going back to, to my mom, who was married to my father for seven months, and then he turned into a real cad. So they broke up before I was still in utero. Mm-hmm. But I did present it to my mother one night uh, with the same story I told you, curiosities, idle curiosities, the amazing internet, look what I found. She still carries that experience around with her, but it's kind of like if something, if, if you... I've got scars on my knee for when I got hit by a car when I was on my bike when I was 17 years old. And it doesn't hurt anymore. But I can look down, oh, there's those little scars. Mm-hmm. Same thing with my mother and her life. It doesn't hurt anymore, but you carry that little thing. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, so I, I ran through that with her. And as far as my kids go, I waited quite a number of months because I kept this stuff about my missing father and that whole emotional world, very close in and quiet and reserved inside me for a long time. So I didn't just go out blasting this around. I it took a while to absorb, but we sat down with dinner one day and uh, glad we got together. Da, 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 and the, the new son-in-law is, is sitting there. And, and I wanted to talk to you about some things I found out about your grandfather. And you know, my son says, I knew it. I knew that's why he asked us over here. I knew that. Okay. (laughs) Showed them to tell the truth from 1961. I showed them a lot of this paper material of of things. My daughter was extremely excited by it, finding this whole new world. She was really pleased for me that I found this new world of, of, of relations. My son was very emotional about it. He had to go to the bathroom, just be by himself for a couple of minutes. It really hit him to find out about his uncle, the cop in Ohio, to find out about his his grandfather. And this this piece of him, I never talked about it my whole childhood. I never talked about it with them. I talked with my kids the same way my mother said to me, which was, there are a lot of different kinds of families. And this is what we have, you and me and and your your two grandparents that we live with. This is what we have. It's cool. And for me, it's cool. Gave that to my kids. This is what you have. I don't know about my father. That's can't help it. This is what we have. It's cool. Right. Finally delivering it to them was wow. a real special experience for me. Yeah. I, I can yeah, that's that's incredible. Wow. Well, thank you for presenting that question. We, uh, I'm so glad that that came up because I think that I'll that's send you some pictures. He's got a little hat on and he's really smiling. A wonderful little kid. I'll send you some pictures. Oh, great. Yes. Yes. How old is your grandson? I don't have my internet wallet here, but oh, okay. <laughs> How old is he now? Half and thriving. How old's the grandson? Uh, a year and a half. A year and a half. Well, he lives an hour from me, so it's tough to see all the time. But yeah, it's summertime. They're going to come over. He'll run around the backyard and eat my tomatoes. It'll be fun. That's fantastic. And you know, I guess one day uh, you can share this story with him. I will, yeah, one day I'll plunk them down and say, hey, kid, you know, put down that goo that you're reading. You got two hours. I'm going to tell you a story. It's called Please Stand Up, and it's available at Amazon and Barts. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe since he's your grandson, you could you could give him a copy. But anyway, <laughs> and Keith, your- I just want to say this has been fantastic and so interesting, and there's so much value here for our listeners who like I said, are writing any kind of genre book. This is just chock full of valuable lessons. So thank you so much once again for being with us on the Author's Corner. 
really nice to be here and you will as an editor decide if you want to include my website which is please stand up mason.com and i thank you robin for all the, the great episodes that you've got in your archives i've been having a ball listening to things and catching up thank you for the time here it's been a delight to to share this kind of stuff to talk about writing instead of the damn book Yes, I hear that often. (laughs) I'm just so glad. And, And thank you again. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.